He's a holy God. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you be holy like he is holy. That ends chapter 5 of Matthew, which is where we are today, talking about spreading God's word at home and around the world and closing up on this October 31st, looking at the famous teaching of Jesus that we are salt and light in the world. I know you've reflected on that before. Much has been written about it. I'm in Matthew chapter 5, the first of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, I want you to find that. And this verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Now when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He's on the mountainside. He's not in a cathedral. He's not in a coliseum. He's by the sea. Jesus is sitting in a place much like the one where I stood on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee with the grass and the rocks mixed together and a few trees around and the Sea of Galilee shining to the south, a beautiful sight. He went up on that mountainside somewhere in that area right there. It calls to mind Moses, the lawgiver, who also went up on the mountain. God came down to that mountain there. Here, Jesus goes up to the mountain. God spoke in thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai. Here, he's in that still, small voice that Elijah heard on the side of the mountain. In the Old Testament, they were forbidden to come near lest they die. But now Jesus, who gives us free access to the Father through his sacrifice on the cross, invites us to come near. And so we gather around on the mountainside as the Savior begins to teach. I want you to stand with me, and I want you to read with me the Beatitudes, all right? They'll be on the screen. They're also in the text there in front of you. This is verse 3, Matthew chapter 5. Read it with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, For they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Thank you. Please be seated. The Beatitudes are at the front of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is mostly about what you ought to do. It's not so much about what you ought to believe. It's not really a discourse on doctrine as much as it is a discourse on behavior. So in order to get our hearts right and make sure that we are in an attitude that we can receive the instruction of Jesus, he begins with this introduction. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers and even those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You can't read through the Beatitudes without realizing that Jesus is calling us to a kind of demeanor in the world that is unique. It is different. And this is the kind of stance and disposition that God blesses. So happy, blessed are the people who are like this. It will be very hard for you to receive the next text unless you receive the Beatitudes. All the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is predicated upon you receiving and believing that being poor in spirit is the right way to be. It's not the haughty and the proud, but it's the humble that God blesses. That mourning for our sin is the right way to be because those are the ones who are comforted. And so you got to get your heart right. And then Jesus comes to the text, verse 13, and he says to these gathered peasants on the hillside, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's just a little preposterous. Jesus speaking not to kings and princes, not to the authorities on the planet, but to this crew of disciples, these fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. It's just a little absurd to hear him say, you are the salt of the earth. I wonder how it struck them. And the light of the world. Very much like maybe it strikes us. An impossibility. Beyond our ability for sure. That we could be the salt of the whole earth, the light of the whole world. I mean, Jesus, how can that be? And then to think 
that those disciples gathered immediately around him are the very ones who left that small geographical spot at the east end of the Mediterranean Sea and took the gospel to the Roman Empire and launched the movement of faith in Christ that is arguably the most powerful movement ever turned loose in human history. And we gather today with a billion plus other Christians on the planet who call Jesus Lord, hundreds of millions. Jesus was right about these fishermen and these peasants by the sea. They were indeed the salt of the earth and they would demonstrate it with their lives and the light of the world and that they would demonstrate also. Being salt and light is fundamentally being like Jesus has called you to be. And that includes the Beatitudes, that humility of character, that strength of mercy, that intention to make peace, that endurance in persecution and hardship, that purity of heart. It includes the Beatitudes. That is how you must be to be light and salt. And he goes on through this sermon to unpack the kind of people he expects us to be. Based on these beatitudes, he talks about how, look, I want you to love your mother and love your friends and love your children. But I want you to love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you and so show that you are children of the Father in heaven. And he sets this standard way up high for a kind of behavior in the world that is startling. That is the pouring out of yourself. That is loving in surprising ways. In different ways. In unexpected ways. In ways that people who don't know Jesus don't have the command to do so. And yet we're doing it. We're loving our neighbor how like we love ourselves. And to love in this way and behave in this way in the world is to be salt and light. When Jesus talked about salt, they knew a little bit about salt, where he was from. Now, you know, everywhere I go, I've got to bring back something. And when I threw this in the bus, they said, what? Do you know what this is? This is a boulder from the Dead Sea. I got it off the shore of the Dead Sea and threw it under the bus in that compartment where you put the baggage. They said, you can't do that. I said, watch me. All right? I have other big rocks I brought back from places like Peru and Venezuela. If you're determined, you can do it. Now, you wonder why is the Middle East such a collision point of civilizations and why has it been thus for these thousands of years? This, my friends, is part of the reason. Not too far from Jerusalem, there is a lake 1,300 feet below sea level that captures the Jordan River and has no outlet. It has turned into a huge evaporation pan 
and through the years has left these deposits of minerals. And civilizations have sent their caravans to the Sea of Galilee to harvest the minerals especially, the salt. You may not know, salt was used by the Roman Empire to pay soldiers. That's why sometimes you say, he's worth his salt. You may not have heard that, but that is a proverb that's in the English language, and the reason we use it is they get their pay in salt. You can't live without salt. The blood that courses through your veins is surprisingly similar to salt water. Jesus says, you are the salt. You. You're the salt of the earth. Oh, God, I want to be salt. I want to be. I want to salt my place and salt my city and salt my time. But he immediately says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, its saltiness, how will it ever be made salty again? The notion that salt could lose its saltiness is peculiar. Madeline tells me, Madeline, this is the second time I've mentioned you. I owe you lunch, okay? She was a missionary in Cairo. She says she used to get salt in Cairo that was so diluted by foreign material that it would scarcely salt the food. Am I right? That's what Jesus is talking about. See, it's the pure in heart who see God, and it's the pure in heart who show God. It's the pure in heart who are salty. And if we're filled with lots of other things and the salt is mixed with impurities, it loses its saltiness. The idea of losing saltiness. In classical Greek, they use this term to express the idea of being foolish or making foolish. You want to see a fool? It's a follower of Jesus who has abandoned the central tenet of his faith, which is a life poured out and crucified for the sake of Christ, and has sought to purchase just three pounds of God, please. <laughs> Not enough to blow my mind or change my lifestyle. Just enough to make me comfortable. That's the fool. The guy who wants just enough religion to make him respectable. That's the fool. There is no such thing as a Christianity. That's about 50% of the radical call. There is no such thing. What Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount is us laying down our lives. It's we who desire to follow him, being willing to go all the way to the cross. An absolute and total surrender of all that we are and wish to be unto the one who is Lord above all. And it's not just words we use. 
It's not just a title we give. His lordship is a conviction that goes from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. He is Lord. Every day, every minute, every word, every action. And my life is poured out on his behalf. In surrender unto him. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is saltiness in the world. And the more you are like Jesus the more you taste like salt. Somebody said, salt will make a man drink the water. That's why they put out those salt blocks in a pasture. They want their cattle to make sure they go to the water trough. In part, that's what it's about. And salty people make other people thirsty for the living water Jesus gives. So they look at us and they say, those folks have been with Jesus. They're taking on his character. You can tell it. There's a quality about them that reminds me of Jesus of Nazareth. They took note of them in one place in the New Testament that they had been with Jesus. If the salt has lost its savor, can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing. It's useless. What's useless, Jesus? A Christian who's lost his saltiness, he's useless. A preacher who lost his saltiness, he's useless. Might as well throw it out like they did with the salt. It was so impure it couldn't be used anymore and just threw it out in the street and trampled underfoot of men. You were the salt, brothers and sisters, and be the salt in your city and stay salty through a radical commitment to Jesus as Lord, no matter what it costs you. No matter how painful it might be. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. It's good for nothing when it loses its saltiness. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. And you get an expansive vision that Jesus has for all he is doing in the world. Think about what Jesus' strategy was for a minute. Here's a man who never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He didn't write a book. He didn't make a movie. He didn't lead an army. He didn't conquer any nations. He did none of the things that make other men stand out in the chronicles of history. And he came and he said, I am the light of the world. He healed the blind man and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me is not going to walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he says to those who follow him, and you are, you are the light of the world. We're still trying to figure out whether light is a particle or a wave. Now, I have not kept up on my science, all right? But there was a time when 
light was perceived as so fundamental that really it was without definition. Other words are scarcely able to explain it. So fundamental is light to life and to our planet. God said in the beginning, let there be what? Light. Let there be light. And there was light. God's saying it again. Let there be light. Let there be light in your family and in your neighborhood, in your community, and in your world. Let there be light. How, Lord? You are the light. You are the light of the world. And then he uses this collective metaphor, a city set on a hill. And if you've been to the Middle East, you know that Jerusalem is set on a hill. And if you're a long distance away, you can see the light shining because the city's up. They're easier to defend if there are slopes coming up to the walls of the city. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I think about that collective metaphor. And brothers and sisters, I want us to be that kind of city as First Baptist New Orleans, all right? We are a community of faith, a gathering of people who know Jesus. Together we are a city of faith. And we want to be on the hill where everybody can see. And we maintain that visibility as we scatter into our community. We sought to achieve visibility by moving to this site six and a half years ago. I mean, one of the three things we are really trying to do was put the city on a hill. And when we talked about digging a hole or bringing in fill... I was one of those who said, let's bring in some more fill. Let's make this hill higher, (laughs) which we did. We lifted the building 18 inches. Lifted it right out of Katrina flood. The water got right to the threshold, but it didn't come in because it was put on a little hill. We didn't know when we built it that would be its effect. We just wanted to be able to stand on steps and look down there and see downtown. Get it up as high as you can get it. Put it by the interstate. Let all the community see that there's a church here that knows and loves Jesus. Well, that was an effort physically to be visible. I got a letter this morning by email. And the person said, you know, First Baptist has such a reputation for caring for this community. She said, I wish my church had that kind of reputation. I love you. Because you're seeking to be light and salt in a community that needs to see. The love and compassion and kindness of the Savior. And you're doing it. In some of the ways that we have structured and lots of the ways that we don't. 
just being out there in the community, letting your light shine, you're doing it. And, and sometimes you're wondering, is, does anybody really care? Am I the only person? Some of us have got the only person syndrome, you know. I'm the only one. I'm the only one in my office that goes to church. I'm the only one that really is a believer. Some of us have that situation, and and God's using the light to shine in that office and in that building and on the floor where you work and in that school where you work. He's using you as a light to shine. You are the light of the world, sister. You're the light of the world. Don't you doubt the power of your witness in the place God planted you. Don't you doubt it. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Sometimes we are tempted. Now, I also brought back, this is not an ancient historical artifact, okay? I was mistaken about that, Anna. This is the wrong thing, okay? She doubted it from the first, anyway. This is a little lamp that you can buy all over South America, and I've seen similar ones in the Middle East and other places, okay? You just put a little oil in there. There's a hole for the wick right here. And uh, can you get a picture of this? Are we up where we could? There we are. See that? Little lamp. And there's a, a wick hole right here, and you pour the oil in here, and you light the wick, and it just burns that oil down. It's a tiny little lamp. And that's the kind of lamp and the size of lamp that lit up a lot of those little homes in the Middle East during the time of Jesus. You know how small those homes were. You walk into them and wonder, how in the world did all these people live in these little rooms? Well, they did. And when Jesus talks about, you are the light of the world, he says, now, you don't take your lamp and hide it under a bowl. And the NIV uses the term bowl because you could literally hide that under a bowl. And if you did, the light would go out eventually, wouldn't it? You'd cut off the oxygen and the light would disappear. But hiding it under a bowl is foolish because you want people to see. You want the light to go all the way through the house. Now, I want you to think about the ways in which we hide our light. Just think about it for a minute. Everybody knows what it costs to identify with Jesus out there. To declare yourself as a disciple and a believer. I remember the Easter. Somebody who scoffed at my faith drew me a picture and gave it to me on Easter of a rabbit crucified on a cross. He just made a joke of it all. And sometimes you realize your testimony may be rejected. And they may laugh at you or think you're crazy And so you put the light under a bowl. And you know when you do it, now, brothers and sisters, 
we are, we are shining the light with all our might. But in your family, don't hide the light. Let the light shine, Dad. You know, when the children were born, Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 16.4, he just hints at a practice 2,800 years ago that when an infant was born, they would wash the infant with water and then rub him with salt. And the salt, I suppose, acted to kill bacteria or whatever. I don't know whether it was good or bad, Dr. K, but that's what they did. I would love for our children to be so salted from the time they come into the world so that the, the home in which they grow up is salty. I think about my own home of origin and all those kids growing up in that mix of the family. And I thank my father recently for being so consistent and public and persistent about his faith. One of the favorite pictures of my father that I have in my mind as a child is my dad sitting on a stump outside of our cabin in Minnesota. And he had the Bible in his hand and he was praying and reading the scriptures. And those are the kind of pictures I have of my father. What kind of pictures will your children have of you, Dad? Are they aware that your light shines bright, that you're the salt of the earth? Do they know that? Among all the things that we seek to teach them. This devotion to Christ is not so much taught as caught from a lifestyle of surrender and service that permeates the man. Jesus says here, let your light so shine before men that they may not hear your words, although that's part of it, but what? See your deeds. See your good deeds. See your good works. Let the works keep flowing. Amen? Let's love out loud. Let's love persistently. Let's do the kindness and the gentleness out there in the world. Let's make sure the family knows, the children know, the spouse knows. Let the light shine everywhere. Let the salt go out of the salt shaker. Scatter it all around. You think, well, I'm just one little grain out here. And when the grain falls on that meat, what happens? Eventually it disappears, but it changes the flavor of the meat. And that's what God's doing with your life. As you pour yourself out, he's using you to change the world in which you live. It's not up to somebody else. It's up to the follower of Jesus to be salt and light. Jesus did not assemble the politicians of his day and say, you're the salt of the earth. You're the hope of the world. If you'll change things, they'll be fundamentally changed. He didn't say, it's the government that needs changing. He didn't gather together the official structures of the nation states. Instead, he said, it's the church. And it was the prophet who said, if my people... which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray.
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and what? Heal their land. It has always been the man who trusted the God who made us, who lived in a faith that empowered and motivated him. It's always been that woman who was salt and light in her time, who really changed the world. God gets glory when his people shine their light. Let's bow together. You start being light when the Christ of Calvary is in your heart. Jesus said in a parting word to his church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Surely there's somebody in this room who has heard the knock of the Savior and heard the voice of the Savior. And you have contemplated giving your life to Christ, committing your way unto him, trusting in him alone for your salvation. You've thought about it, but you've never yet gone there. This morning, what a wonderful act of worship it would be for you to open your heart to the God who loves you and the Christ who died for you and say, Lord, here I am, just like I am, knowing that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want you in my life, and I give my heart to you. Would you pray that prayer to him? Receiving Christ as Savior, trusting him as Lord, and in a moment, confessing him by stepping out and talking to one of these counselors. Lord, we pray today. God, that your Holy Spirit will tug on our hearts. Lord, I pray for that man or woman who came to this room not having Christ in their life, not knowing that they have committed their way unto you. God, I pray today will be the day of salvation when they, as an act of faith and will and worship, surrender their lives unto you. God, let it be so. Help us be obedient today as believers. Let us follow you, God. Help us be salt and light. Help us take the ideas that you planted by your Holy Spirit in each of us and carry those into our community to share your love and joy and peace in our world that needs you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.